Welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. Hey, Todd. Hey, Corey. You all ready for the turkey day? I think I am. I'm ready for it. I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to eat some food and watch some football and, and have some days off of work. How about you? Yeah. Yeah, we had some good football yesterday with Utah beating Oregon and BYU hanging on to beat Southern Georgia. <laughs> so. All right, well, let's start with the world's top news story. Uh, there's nothing more important going on than this. Uh, Britney Spears has been released from her father's conservatorship. A uh, state court judge ruled that after 13 years, Britney can reclaim control of her finances and her personal decisions. Uh, did you join the fan protest to free Britney, Corey? <laughs> I'll, I'll admit, Todd, that I, I didn't know much about the Britney situation until I watched the documentary of maybe like a month ago, uh-huh. and, but I, but I did come to the fast conclusion that I think this, her conservatorship was outrageous and completely, completely un-American. I don't understand how it's legal to hand someone else the authority over your life just because you're acting crazy. I mean, isn't that what, isn't that the MO of all celebrities, right? <laughs> so they, they get, the, they get their celebrity and kind of act crazy. I mean, I get that she, um, maybe she acted extra crazy after yeah. her divorce and she had that incident where she, where the, the baby was riding on her lap, but at least according to the documentary, which who knows if that's right. But I mean, it seemed like she was trying to get away from those, the paparazzi, which you, you know, you're kind of like, yeah, but there's also that incident where she shaved her head. I don't know. She's uh, I guess Pedro did that in Napoleon dynamite too, but I don't know. She, <laughs> yeah. But um, I've actually run some legislation on, on this issue. Uh, oh really? Yeah. In Utah, just making, trying to bring some, transparency and accountability I, I think we still have a ways to go but i can tell you as a state lawmaker i get a lot of complaints about conservatorships um how is it even possible how is that even legal i mean seriously where you, you well th- think I mean, about yeah dementia i get that or you, you know you're yeah, nine years old yeah i see i don't think i think she agreed to it originally so then once she agreed to it i, I think um i mean i didn't watch the documentary was that on netflix or would you watch that uh hulu maybe okay remember. I don't, I don't know exactly how it started, but my guess is she agreed to it because it was her own dad. And then once she agreed to it, it was harder to get it um, released. But yeah, it usually happens with older people. And, and sometimes there's an accusation of dementia or Alzheimer's and it's not really there. So that, that or the person controlling, the person appointed will sometimes not allow other relatives and, and clergy and others to, to see the person. So that's that's the most complaints that I hear. Mm-hmm. In any event, I agree. You know, I'm glad that Brittany's free. So, <laughs> so her dad is basically taking a salary too. How convenient! And uh, and then he he gets to decide whether she can get pregnant again or get married. I mean, it's wild. So, well, that's good for I'm you. For doing- sure, he can totally decide if she gets pregnant. But I understand the point. <laughs> right, so. right, right. On a more serious note, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, he's the 17-year-old who killed two men and shot another during a racial protest riot in Kenosha, Wisconsin last year. We've all heard about this, I think. He's been found not guilty of murder by a jury in Wisconsin. Todd, what did you think of the verdict? Um, I think the verdict was appropriate, and I say that not because I watched every minute of the trial, but a year and a half ago or whenever it happened, I watched about 17 minutes of the video. And it was very clear to me that the day or two after it happened, that this was an act of self-defense. And I'll, I'll be the first to say, I don't think he should have been there. I don't think his mom should have driven him there. I don't think he should have been carrying a, 
an assault weapon around his neck. Um, but what's been amazing to me is the, the media coverage. Um, and um, he did not cross state lines with the gun. The gun uh, was bought by one of his friends in Kenosha. And uh, I saw, um, I don't know, a dozen or so celebrity reactions to the verdict. And about half of them said that he'll, he illegally crossed the state lines with a gun. So A, um, I don't know, Corey, if you've ever been to Idaho or Nevada, but it's not against the law to cross the state line. In, right. In that's what I didn't get. That's, that's what I've They always talk about him crossing the state line. So I actually grew up in Illinois, just south of Kenosha. All of my friends in high school went to Kenosha to get drunk on wow. the weekend because the drinking age in 1984 in Illinois was 21, but in Wisconsin, it was 18. So you could just drive 20 wow. minutes to Kenosha. So I, I know Kenosha, I mean, a little bit. Um, so this whole narrative that he he broke the law because he crossed the state line. So he got the gun when he got to Kenosha. I don't know why his mom drove, drove him there. That seems like a really bad idea. But um, this kid should not spend the rest of his life in jail because an angry mob was trying to kill him. I mean, um, and uh, I, I don't like the fact that he shot three people. I don't like the fact that two of them died. I think it's horrible all around. But you know, the jury did their job. They looked at the evidence. They looked at the law. By the way, Corey, the, uh, the, you know, a lot of people were disappointed. A lot of Democrats, let's be honest, were disappointed when the judge dismissed the gun charge. The reason he dismissed the gun charge is because under Wisconsin law, uh, a minor cannot carry a gun unless it's long barreled and his gun was long barreled. Um, and that may be something that needs to be addressed, but legally speaking, you can't charge him for illegally carrying a gun as a minor when the law doesn't make it illegal. And there is actually a little bit of ambiguity in the law, but I think that that was the right call. And so, uh, I, you know, I have been, I've spent a long time thinking, you know, wh why did this, why did Kyle Rittenhouse get so much media coverage? Almost all of it was negative. My guess is he's going to sue a lot of people, maybe including the Joe Biden campaign, since they they flashed his picture of one of their campaign ads when they were talking about white supremacists, because yeah. some of the early reports were saying that he was a vigilante and a white supremacist. Uh, the evidence at trial proved neither. In fact, didn't even indicate either. But it's it's unfortunate. Um, and I understand that there was a black man shot in the back that that led to the protest. But what I've decided, Corey, and this is very disturbing, is I think that this uh, I think that this is part of the media nar narrative that anyone that goes to a, a, a BLM type protest, that those people are pure as a driven snow. They can't possibly do anything wrong. I mean, one of the guys that Rittenhouse shot was a convicted child molester uh, and killed. And the other guy that he killed uh, had assaulted, uh, was convicted of assaulting other people. I mean, on, on, on the video, one of them didn't have a gun, but he had a skateboard. And just like in the Salt Lake riots, he was swinging that skateboard uh, as a weapon and he was pointing those wheels right at Kyle Rittenhouse's head and was swinging that like a like a in, uh, MLB baseball player swinging that bat. And, uh, you know, I, I think had Kyle Rittenhouse not done what he did, he would probably have been killed or at least seriously injured. I mean, I'm talking about coma and brain damage and, and things like that. So I don't like anything about the story, but I, I think the verdict was in conformance with the evidence and the fact that we have a media, the president of the United States, his original statement was great, but then of course he had to back off and uh, the vice president, uh, you know, the fact that all of these liberals wanted him to spend his life in jail because A, he might be a Trump supporter, 
and B, because he shot two people trying to kill him at a Black Lives Matter uh, protest. It's embarrassing for the media. They lied about him from day one. And even though we've heard America's heard all the evidence now, they're still pretty much lying about him. Absolutely. I mean, this this is kind of like part part and parcel of the kind of the the critical woke project, which is if it fits the narrative, we don't really care what the law says. The law is just is there only to to stand up, uh, you know, white supremacy. And and this is this is an instance where it was a white kid shooting three white men. Yeah, and uh, most people who, didn't know a week ago that all of his victims were white. They just assumed they were black. That, that's right. And so uh, this has really nothing to do with, with race. You had a guy, as you said, that chased him with a skateboard, tried to take his gun. That guy is a convicted child rapist. You had a th- uh, another man who had already been arrested on uh, felony gun charges. And then this, the third guy who he shot in the arm, Grosskreutz. Pointed his pointed, weapon at him. Pointed, pointed a gun at his face. Yeah. And then testified in the trial that that – that Kyle did not shoot until after Goskoitz uh, had uh, had pointed the gun at him. So I, I'm with you when it comes to like, I I don't approve of the fact that he was there. I think that was not just a bad choice. I think it's terrible all around. I what what's so frustrating to me is just the the complete and utter lawlessness, the anarchy that was allowed to prevail. That you had you had Antifa running wild, burning things. You know the the. The, the one guy who was uh, who was killed, Rosenbaum, the, the convicted um, child molester, he even the the prosecutor test said in his closing arguments that this guy had tipped over an empty porta potty, swung a chain at people, lit a metal garbage dumpster and wooden trailer on fire. And it was seen in the vid- in, in videos on you can find it on Twitter. He's just spouting the N word all night. So these are bad guys. I, I don't. I don't think that that uh, they're not. Ju- he's they're not justified in being killed for that reason. And it's uh, you know, I'm not saying that that I'm happy. I'm I'm not happy that the people were were killed. But these were bad guys who were there to cause trouble. You had Kyle, a kid, a 17 year old who's who's not you know making very bad choices by going there in the first place. But at the end of the day. I don't understand why what the fixation is on the left of crossing state lines with an illegal gun. I mean, and we he didn't cross the state lines and it wasn't an illegal gun. So, but I even so, even if they even if those were both true, which they're not, but even if they were, that's not what he was on trial for. He he was on trial for did he was he did he uh, defend himself uh, in a legitimate self defense or did he murder um, two people and shoot another, you know, out of uh, out of you know malice or disregard and. The, the facts of the case are just so obvious that he did self-defend himself. So this one was easy. And it's really, I, to me, this is one of the saddest commentaries. And, and, I, and I like that you also pointed to the Covington Catholic high school kids, because this is all about narrative. This isn't about facts. This is an illiberal and really just pure. It's again, it's, it, it goes back to well, the critical project, which is we don't really care what the facts are. This is about power politics, and it, this kid is on the wrong side of power, and we need to get him. Yeah. So it's a bad place. for America. And the logic of the national media here is burning parking lots full of cars, you know, is okay. That's okay. Defending yourself when someone's trying to kill you, that's bad. That, that's <laughs> what the media has been telling us for a year and a half on this particular case. Okay, Uh, Joe Biden has finally admitted 
that the current inflation is real. We talked about this last week. And the American people are rightly blaming his policies um, for the increased inflation, the spike in inflation. So instead of getting the message, he's decided to cast blame on the oil companies. Corey, uh, tell us about Biden's letter to the Federal Trade Commission. So by, by, uh, President Biden just sent a letter to the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, asking them to investigate whether oil and gas companies are participating in illegal conduct aimed at keeping gasoline prices high. You know, it's like round up the usual suspects. It's Casablanca, you know, and this this is this is President Biden's pathetic response to the political pressure he's feeling about the rising costs of everything, which we've talked about multiple times on this podcast. Inflation is real. Gasoline is up. The price of meat way up. Price of other food up. Price of housing way up. You know, this is this is largely driven by uh, demand, but it's also when on the gasoline side, Biden has blocked oil and gas leasing. He's canceled the Keystone Pipeline. He's making it more difficult to develop energy. He's, uh, he's demonizing the energy companies. I mean, to the extent that some energy companies are making a little bit more money, it's because they can't reinvest in the business because he's blocking them at every turn. I mean, they're, they're, they're walled off from reinvesting in, in new developments and uh, in, in new oil and gas um, exploration. They're just being blocked. And so this is his fault. And, you know, he has a, he just nominated a, a, a new woman to head the office of the comptroller of the, of the currency. This is like the, a banking regulator. And she's, on, she's caught on video saying just nonchalantly that oil companies need to go bankrupt. That's what needs to happen in order for you know, climate change well, that, to be addressed. That'll fix everything, won't it? <laughs> it totally will. Meanwhile, this is true. I'm not making this up. Biden, during the, during, you know, during the, the last week's COP26, and during the climate thing, he's actually asked, just before that, he was asked, asking the Saudis to increase production in order to lower prices. Come on. This is just trying to distract attention away from his failed policies. You know, and meanwhile, the, the House Democrats, they just passed that they did pass the $2 trillion abomination that will exacerbate inflation. And I'm just so tired of misinformed journalists, uh, both national and local, telling us that, uh, that this bill is completely paid for. First of all, that's not true, as evidenced by the Congressional Budget Office score that we just barely got. I mean, there's evidence that's just staring us in the face. It's not true, so stop saying it. But secondly, to the extent that the bill is paid for and uh, partially paid for, it's it's paid for by Democrats imposing self-defeating taxes that will lead businesses to move overseas. That's what's going to happen. Businesses are not going to be able to compete. They're going to have to move overseas. And we're not, they are not raising taxes on the wealthy. They are cutting taxes on the wealthy because of the, this massive cut of the state and local tax deduction. Look, people are missing this. The journalist is driving me nuts. Yeah, it's insane. It, the, the world has gone insane. By the way, that, that conference, that global uh, climate conference, over 140 people, including Prince Charles, John Kerry, and Joe Biden, all flew to that summit on private jets. Um, uh, yeah, Climate so let's change, you know, taxes for thee and not for me. I'll do whatever I want. I'll let's take, take our private jets to a climate change summit and then talk about how we're going to reduce the carbon footprint. That totally makes sense to me. Does it make sense to you? Corey? Yeah, yeah, it's totally, totally. What, what's, what's good for me is not good for you. All right, so a uh, little more uh, political buzz. We've got we have a couple challengers that uh, that have emerged. The first one, 
Chris Stewart has a primary challenger uh, on, on the Republicans. It's a Republican primary challenger, a corporate attorney named Aaron Ryder. Todd, uh, what do we know about her? This is your district, right? So what does it mean? For yeah, it's my district. And uh, she works for a law firm that I used to work for about uh, 10 years ago. And um, she wasn't there. So I've never worked with her, but I have talked to her. She called me on the phone a year or so ago and told me she was thinking about running for Congress. Um, I think she's uh, she's for real. She's a smart uh, woman and um, she works at a very prestigious law firm. So this is not just some, I don't know, wackadoodle running for Congress. Um, she's, you know, uh, she, she's the real deal. But like Mike Lee, I think it'll be very, very, very difficult for a Republican challenger to unseat Chris Stewart. And with, with a caveat, I mean, I think this applies to Mike Lee, barring um, a scandal, right? I mean, if something you know, big were to, um, you know, to come out or barring heaven forbid a plane crash where somebody, you know, is deceased. But um, uh, in any event, um, yeah, I think, you know, with her anticipated collection of signatures, I think Chris Stewart will face his first primary. And you you may remember, Corey, you may not, in 2012, um, there was a really weird state convention and there were four people running, including Dave Clark, former Speaker of the House. I do remember. Chris Stewart avoided a primary kind of through a fluke. There was a negative piece that kind of backfired. And some people thought that he orchestrated that. I know for a fact that he didn't, but he certainly benefited from it. Um, you know, Chris Stewart has his detractors, but most of them are Democrats. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so uh, you can't yeah, really yeah. run to the right of him. I mean, he's pretty darn that, good. That would be a challenge. And I think you're right. That he, of, uh, of the entire delegation, he's probably the most loathed by, by the left. Um, yeah. Yeah. And not only uh, Chris Stewart, but uh, John Curtis also has drawn a Republican primary challenger. Uh, this is a candidate by the name of Jason Preston, also someone I don't know, who is currently a manager for the National Write Your Congressman um, uh, organization. So, Corey, what do we know about Mr. Preston? I, I don't know him either, but I'd, but uh, it seems like he's pretty active in the, the, the Utah Patriots, which is the, the organization that folks will probably remember a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, uh, there was a demonstration in front of the, one of the IHC hospitals against mask oh, yeah. wearing or, yeah. or sorry against uh vaccination is what it was yeah and um so that's that's the utah patriots and and they they also had another um another demonstration yesterday at uh traverse mountain in lehigh um and i drove by but but uh he, yeah he works for the national right your congressman it seems like he's he's worked for some small businesses so forth calls himself a libertarian libertarian leaning conservative so I suspect that he will try to run against Curtis, run to the right, and yeah. I mean, um, being more conservative. Yeah, so. and and Curtis, I mean, I haven't really analyzed the new redistricting map, but Curtis has a fairly conservative district, and he's kind of marked out some fairly moderate positions. You know, he was at that climate change conference that we were talking right. about. Um, but I also think he's really good at constituent outreach. He was a very popular mayor of Provo for eight years. Um, but, you know, if you want to talk about running to, uh, against Curtis from the right, he was at one time the chair of the Utah Democratic Party, um, Utah County Democratic Party. And he also ran for the state Senate against Kurt Bramble as a Democrat in Utah County. Um, but I mean, his voting record, although it's not as conservative as Chris Stewart, he clearly has a Republican voting record in Congress. I don't think yeah, anyone yeah. 
can accuse him of being um, a Republican in name only. I, I don't think he, that, he just voted against the infrastructure bill, for example. Yeah, that Mitt Romney voted for. Um, yeah. In any event, I, I, I'm going to say, even though there is some space to run against him from the right, this person, I mean, the, the Utah political uh, people, you know, like you and me, it's a pretty small crowd. And this this person's not in that crowd is not well known, <laughs> which tells me, you know, that they're, they're kind of just coming out of left field. That doesn't mean they can't win. But if you have no name ID and you have no real ability to raise money, um, you know, that, that's a that's a recipe for failure in, yeah. in politics. All right. Good stuff. Let's close it there. All right. Thanks, Corey. We'll see you maybe next week. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thanks. All right. Take care.